What's up, guys? This is Mad Moore coming to you from the heart of tech from Silicon Valley uh, as none other. It's a cold and cloudy day here in the Valley, but the product of my next guest is, is one of those products that simply helps provide that ray of sunshine that we all need when we're just inundated with too much stuff to do and like way too much on our plate. Believe it or not, these guys have over 200 million users, and this app has helped people connect over 5 billion, yeah, that's billion with a B, 5 billion notes to help folks stay on top of their to-do lists and connected with their teams. These guys really put the ever in staying productive forever. My next guest is Andrew Malcolm, who is the CMO of the legendary productivity app and platform Evernote. Android, uh, Andrew brings over a decade of experience leading global SaaS businesses. His approach marries big data insights with compelling content to lead users to the most value from apps, build brand love, one of my personal favorites, and increase engagement and lead to paid conversions. Because at the end of the day, even though we're in the Valley, we all do need to make money. Uh, as CMO of Evernote, Andrew has created an organization using this approach that delivers just the right message at the right time through owned and earned media. And this has doubled the number of paying users over the last couple of years and led the company to be cash flow positive. Previously, uh, Andrew served as VP of product marketing mobility at HP. He developed and launched the company's mobile solution strategy, which resulted in a 400% increase in year-over-year revenue and was head of marketing as well at Skype, where he led 44% increase in registration growth and similar revenue growth during the company's acquisition by Microsoft. Andrew was an R.J. Miller Scholar at Stanford Graduate Business School and holds a B.A. in government with distinction from Harvard University. Um, Andrew, or Melk, as I know your team loves to call you, thank you so much for being here on uh, Mad Mork Stories today. Uh, I'd like to jump into a couple of questions. Why don't we start with, uh, with you? Tell me a little bit about yourself, and I know you have a particularly interesting and unusual journey on how you got into marketing. So what do you do at Evernote, and kind of how did you get to your current role? Well, first, thanks so much for having me. I love what you guys are trying to do here about sharing all of the experiences because we try to learn so much from outside the valley and find those patterns that every now and then I think we come up with a nugget that we can share back. Um, so I think like most great marketers, I started my career in a private equity fund um, <laughs> where I was playing with Excel back when the market crashed in 2008 mm -hmm. and spinning in my chair for a few months, not knowing if we were going to move forward or what was going to happen with our investments. Um, all of a sudden, the opportunity to come look at Skype emerged. And so I went over and started doing diligence on Skype about maybe three months before we signed that deal and didn't leave for the next five years. Wow. So uh, that's a long due diligence. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think the decision was made pretty quickly, but uh, but then we, we couldn't help but hang out and be inspired by the things that these 300 to 400 person software companies are trying to achieve and able yeah. to achieve, right? Mm -hmm. And so Skype had started with the idea that we could democratize communication so that any two people could communicate for free. That's a pretty awesome thing to be part of. And all yeah. of a sudden I found myself in a place where I just couldn't leave. Yeah, that, that, that must have been a fascinating story. And so from Skype, then you went on to, um, was it HP? I, I did find my way to HP. At, so I was at Skype for uh, for those five years. I did everything there um, from running engineering ops to right. running a product to then running marketing, which was really kind of a growth team of mm -hmm. anything that had to do with revenue. Um, and over that time, I think what we learned was that you've got to major in the business and kind yeah. of minor in whatever function you need to perform or manage at that time. Right. And so that well-rounded experience uh, was really, I was just flat out lucky to have that. And then had the opportunity to take that to HP for a relatively brief stint where we thought we were going to do some um, acquisitions as well with some other private equity funds. That didn't quite pan out. So mm -hmm. I joined Evernote 
on day 731, as I like wow. to tell people, which is that one day after your two-year vesting cliff. Yeah. And yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and have had the absolute privilege and honor to to work here for the last almost three years now, mm -hmm. um, having again gotten a chance to do almost everything inside the building. I think at one point I was even the finance guy for one board meeting. <laughs> so uh, so it's a it's an absolute blast to try to do these things. So when you when you look at your background, you know, because it's fascinating, because you obviously you came from you know more of a, a, a of a quantitative, you know, private equity kind of numbers background, what was a little bit like the biggest challenge and kind of like making that pivot in your career to get into marketing? Because marketing is so diverse and there's so many different aspects to it. What have you found to be the biggest kind of challenge there? Well, overwhelmingly, the biggest challenge is that when you show up and you haven't really ever done anything in marketing yeah. before and all these people who have 20 years of experience are like, who in the world is this marketing guy? Mm -hmm. They look at you kind of funny. So it probably took me a uh, more than a year to earn the the not even credibility but the trust that I was yeah. there to do something good and not to uh, to try to mess with things. But I'm very excited because that team that I saw the first day I showed up is now the team that has come to Evernote for the most part, wow. and we're the same people who have been together for almost a decade now. Um, and and I think the other thing that happens is you get this chance to think about marketing unencumbered by all the lessons that people have accrued over the last decade or so right. of that time. And that's great for global SaaS because global SaaS marketing is unlike, I think, anything else that people see, right? Our mm -hmm. marketing budget is somewhere in the range of two cents per user per year. Wow. So what are you ever going to do with two cents that's going to be impactful? We could spend all of that budget, you know, in San Francisco and the numbers in San Francisco wouldn't move. Right. So that's where we got the chance to start thinking about marketing in a totally different way. This mm -hmm. thing that we called being creatively analytic uh, because... I didn't really all have that, that much of the creative part of the brain, but mm -hmm. everybody else that was working with me did. But I had all this an analytic ca uh, capability mm -hmm. that I could add. And we realized that if we could marry the super compelling storytelling that happens with products like Skype and Evernote yeah. with the ability to use big data and automation to trigger that storytelling in such a way that it was personalized and extremely well-timed and targeted, yeah. then we could really do things even for these minuscule budgets that others couldn't because we can earn a lot of attention with great stories mm -hmm. and then guide people to get the most value out of our products by creating personalized journeys for them. What would be what would be an example of that? So a lot of people, when they first launch an app, everybody thinks the problem with SaaS apps is that we can't convert people to paying us. Right. And the truth is that is not the challenge for SaaS at all. It's that right. most people are not that bothered by $5 a month in payments, right? Yeah. They are troubled by the fact that there's only 24 hours in the day. Mm -hmm. And where are you going to spend those? What apps, what activities? And as an app, you have to earn people's time, right. is the way we describe it. Right. So most people, uh, do you want to take a guess about the median app downloads per user per month right now in the U.S.? I honestly don't know what the, me I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the median app download number is. So it's zero. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Pretty low, right? I mean, most once people have like that stable of like eight, 10 or 12 apps, they pretty much stick to those, right? I exactly. Right. And something like 75% of apps are uninstalled within a week and 80% are only open once. Yeah, that's crazy. So you have a very short period of time to earn people's time, to their, their return trip right. to you. And so when you can get that engagement, then mm -hmm. the correlation of engagement and paying is almost one. Right. But what you have to do is give people a reason that they should engage with you. Right. And if you're uh, so from that automated journey perspective, well, it's a very different journey that maybe Patrick should go on mm -hmm. than what Mac should go on. So if you come on the desktop, well, it would be really strange if we told you to take a picture of something on the desktop because 
most desktops have kind of bad cameras and it's yeah. really weird when you yeah. walk around with your laptop trying to take pictures of stuff. <laughs> but if you come on a mobile phone and we tell you, hey, you should type out you know, the, your journal entry for the day with your thumbs. Well, yeah. that's sort of a silly experience too, right? right? So that's an easy one that you can kind of grok that humans could create those differentiated experiences. But now what if we start layering in the IP address from where you downloaded? Is it commercial or is it public, right? right. What time of day are you clearly downloading when you're at work? where we should give you use cases that are professional or are you downloading at 11 o'clock at night when you're probably trying to figure out how to organize your life. Right. And then you can sort of start to sequence what are the features we should expose you to. Mm -hmm. And notice I haven't once talked to you about trying to get you to buy anything yet. Right. right. Because I'm not trying to get you to buy anything. I'm trying to get you to have a value exchange with me where by the time you hit a paywall, you've already be realized how much Evernote could do for your life. Mm -hmm. And if I can do that, you know, we only have like a 28 person marketing team. So mm -hmm. there's no way that a human brain can take all those variables into account and deliver that right message. Right. And we can use machine learning. We can use big data right. to create those personalized journeys that way. So this yeah. like irony has emerged that the way to deliver the most personal messages is to not have humans involved, That's which is sort of funny, right? Yeah, that's that, that that feels counterintuitive. Right. 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 But it's interesting because like at the same time, you know, what I see in kind of in marketing, which is a struggle is, you know, sometimes kind of the more traditional kind of like old fashioned, you know, Nestle's, Proctor's, Pepsi's of the world, they might struggle a little bit more in terms of, you know, data analytics and AI and machine learning and kind of like really doing what you're talking about, right, which is just the hardcore data management. Whereas, you know, for example, from my perspective, having worked in FMCG and then working in tech for 10 years, it tends to be the opposite that, you know, tech companies sometimes struggle with like articulating the why, yes. articulating the story. Right. And so from that perspective, like what's the story that you guys kind of like, you know, conjure up for users when you when you talk to them about Evernote? Like what's the why of the product? Well, the amazing thing about Evernote is that people's connection is not to the bits and bytes of what Evernote is. Right. right? What we do is cool, no doubt. But what people do with Evernote is truly impactful and world changing. at mm -hmm. times. And so we want people to feel that connection to their content. And what we say is. We want you to focus on what matters most to you mm -hmm. and not have to worry about all the other things because we're there to help you remember that, that stuff, to help take that off the cognitive load that you're probably feeling. Right. And for me, I think my story is kind of the quintessential one with Evernote that is the way people become addicted to the product. Right. And so I started as an Evernote user on my birthday in 2011 when I was like a pretty crappy manager and mm -hmm. needed to get better at one-to-ones and yeah. Like meetings. Yeah, we've all been there. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> especially in the startup world. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm so grateful for the people who endured for where I was, but I took, I started taking notes and started, things started happening better. Right. Mm -hmm. I was following up better. Um, we got an SMS channel launched in 30 days that had been lingering for like six or nine months at that point. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden my dad got sick. Mm -hmm. And so all these one-to-one -one meeting notes became almost irrelevant as his medical records ended up in Evernote. Yeah. And then his legal documents. And then yeah. his eulogy is written in Evernote. And now yeah. my kids' sonograms are in Evernote and their medical wow. records are there. And there just aren't that many products or brands in the world that can transcend this very, very practical role in my day where right. every meeting starts by triggering a note that I can go capture the ideas and things that we have to do. Right. But then every time, you know, you freak out as a dad and you have to take the kid to the ER and they're like, where's his social security card? Where, what, what right. is he allergic to? And you're to? like, oh, I got it right I, here. I'm Bam. Like, here you go. Right. right? Um, and I just don't think there are many, many brands that have found a way to play that deep of a role. And that connection, yeah. you know, I, I think about, could I, 
let's say I go work someplace and they're like, oh, we don't let you use Evernote here. I'm like, yeah. I'll bet you do because right. I'm going to use it whether you know it or not. Right. Um, I think that those are the things that are probably uh, those connections are what we aspire to let people yeah. build themselves. Yeah, it goes back to what you were talking about earlier, right? Is like it's really about brand love, right? It's like when you provide so much value to a customer that you help them so much, right? It's like you're almost kind of like this big brother for them, right? Providing totally. like expected and unexpected assistance whenever you know the need arises right if you can embrace the humility mm -hmm. that what you do as evernote is just fine but what you really want to do is hear the customers tell you the stories about what they do with evernote yeah and you are this small contribution to some amazing things right mm -hmm. like we hear these stories about research labs that are working on cancer cures right. and they run in evernote right, right. Well, guess what? I'm not going to cure cancer. I get pretty queasy when I get a paper cut. So the <laughs> fact that I can play even a small role mm -hmm. in something as important as that is like really meaningful. And then you hear that all the way to uh, there's like a logistics company in Australia. And this mm -hmm. guy inherited it from his dad. And all he ever wanted to do was like run his dad's company. Right. And he runs the whole thing on Evernote from his invoices to the inventory to his accounting to like people. Yeah. And, and you're like that we could even, again, play some small role in this guy's dream coming true. Yeah. Like how, how, what an honor. It's awesome. I mean, you know, I'm always kind of like shocked by how little people really dig into those kind of human stories. Right. People yeah. build all sorts of cool stuff <laughs> in the Valley, right? No denying it, but there's so much of this kind of building technology for the sake of building cool technology. Right. While, while not necessarily thinking about the human component of like, how am I making a person's life better, right? How am I improving the overall condition of human life, right? Which is one of the things it seems that you guys are able to do, which is cool. That's cool. That's huge. Yeah. I, I'd love to see more technologists ask the question of, should we build this rather than could yeah. we build this, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm curious, you know, from your point of view, kind of now that you, you, you've been in this, in this marketing role, you've been in previous marketing roles, obviously marketing as a discipline has changed so much. Right. I mean, yes. like when I look back on it, it kind of scares the hell out of me. Right. Which is kind of like why I ended up doing this. I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I want to deal with all this marketing stuff anymore. It's like moving too fast. Right. What what in your mind has changed the most in the last three or four years when it, when it comes to marketing? I think that the expectations of what marketing is supposed to the role marketing is supposed to play mm -hmm. in the C-suite are so vastly different than they were uh, when I started you know, yeah. a few years ago in by that, more specifically, I can no longer draw a distinct line between the marketing strategy and aka also the brand strategy yeah. and the company strategy. Yeah. Right. Like if you own the value proposition and you own the target customer, you kind of own half the questions that you answer in a strategy. Yeah. Like what problem do you solve? Who has that problem? How do you do it better than anybody else? And how do you make money? There's only four questions a strategy really has to answer. Mm -hmm. And marketing is owning at least half of them. And yet at the same time, all of the traditional techniques of marketing are becoming less and less effective because people mm -hmm. are so good at time shifting now, right? Yeah. Like targeting does not exist on a clock. It exists based on behaviors. Right. Well, that's a completely different way of thinking about things than we were before. I think the last number I saw suggested that there's a better chance we survive a plane crash than that we click on a mobile banner app. <laughs> so we've got, you know, you have to keep evolving. Yeah. But but yeah. I completely share that fear and the overwhelming nature that comes with it because yeah. somebody showed me the number of marketing tools and marketing technology or whatever is growing at 3,500%. Yeah. And I'm sure the number of emails that all of your, your listeners get is just inundating 
Mm. How would you ever know which AI platform to buy? Everybody's claiming to have the best machine learning to help yeah. your marketing, right? Yeah. And I share that that sense of overwhelm about that. And I'll be very fascinated to see how we come through this in the next five to 10 years. Yeah, it, it is. It's daunting. It's daunting. And, and at the same time, I think, you know, the problem is compounded by the fact that there still seems to be, and I'd be curious about your opinion about this. There seems to be still kind of like a misunderstanding, you know, particularly in tech companies and especially in earlier stage tech companies of like, what does the CMO role really do? Yeah. Or what should it do? I, I think right? that, Is it more product? Is it more analytics? Is it more brand? I think that's a really uh, wonderful question. And I think it's probably a little bit of everything that you just said. Yeah. I think the number one thing that everybody, especially in sort of an earlier stage startup, has to be searching for is product market fit. Right. And uh, we all talk about that as though there aren't two sides mm -hmm. of that equation that you can change. Yeah. You can change the product, but you can also change the market that you're targeting. Right. And I see all these uh, startups where they hire their first like VP of marketing or head of marketing. And they're like, okay, go generate some leads. <laughs> There's no rule that says you have to you have to spend a dime on media just right. because you hired a marketing person, right? right? First, figure out if you really have cracked the product market market fit question, mm -hmm. and use your marketing guy to understand that customer way better than a technologist will, right? Because, I mean, marketers, and I wouldn't put myself in this camp, but great marketers that I've seen, there, there's an intuition that comes with just human psychology and unpacking. Right what a user says to get to what a user means because mm -hmm. they're never going to articulate for you exactly what they're talking about. Right. And engineers joke about this because they're the ones who say, if you'd asked a farmer in the 1900s, like, what do you need? And they would have said a faster horse and we never would have built the combustion engine. Yep. Right. But at the same time, they're trying to solve that problem by actually just innovating through it. Right. And if you marry a great marketer who can understand what that user's at, what that farmer was actually saying the problem right. was, then you've got something special because when user insight gets married with technical innovation, that's where magic and product market fit right. really take place. Yeah, it's, it's great that you say that. I mean, you know, I wrote a post um, late last year where I talked about uh, product marketing and role of product marketing in organizations. And one of the things that I espouse as a theory was this idea of what I call the dynamic duo. I, the dynamic duo being a product manager and a product marketing manager working together to really own the product. Um, what are your thoughts about how deeply marketing should be involved in terms of product development? So I think that there are many or different product roadmap. Right? Yeah, I think there are many different models to this, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think there is the sort of Google model where the product marketing guy is there as like a sort of supporting role for the right. product manager. And that product manager is basically a CEO of their product. Right. And then I think there's all the way to the Apple side, right? Where Apple has kind of said the product marketing person is actually going to be our CEO. Right. And I think where it works best is when, um, it's when you get the nature of two people who just want to work together to yep. do something awesome, yep. right? And so I, as a product marketing guy, have always asked people, I want to be the bookends of your process. Mm -hmm. I want to be there to help you understand the problem and articulate the value proposition before you have written a line of code. Right. And then I want to be there at the end to take that and get it in the hands of users as effectively as possible right. in the most efficient way. And in between, you're going to make a ton of decisions about like, how does this work? Where does this button go? What mm -hmm. is this experience like? And I don't need to be there for those things. Right. But if we can have, we can be involved upfront and at the end, we can save a lot of time of getting something thrown over the fence from product and engineering who then says, hey, what's the value proposition for this? I'd love to answer that question before you've spent a lot of time yeah, writing code. Totally.
Yeah, I, I, I absolutely get that because it seems sometimes in some companies, it's kind of like the product guys in engineering are there building a product and all of a sudden the product's done. It's like, oh, what do we do now? Well, let's just throw it over the wall to the marketing guys. Okay, marketing guys incoming, you know, go go figure out how to market this, yes. right? And then, oh, by the way, yeah. the sales aren't what we expected. Marketing problem. Exactly. Right? That's so. marketing's fault. They got the positioning wrong, yes. right? So. Um, so you've obviously done a lot of different things at Evernote, right? And, you know, like any company, you guys have gone through ups and downs. You've had your challenges. Um, there's been like a lot of improvement, a lot of progress along the way. And obviously, you know, you guys being cash flow positive and, you know, uh, increasing a lot of the key metrics. Um, when you look back at all the different marketing things that you've done, are there any kind of like, are there one or two that really stand out as kind of like outliers in that success? Yeah. So I had the dubious honor of showing up 30 days after Business Insider ran that article calling us the first dead unicorn. Yeah, I remember that. Which is a yeah. pretty sweet time to be in charge of PR and comms. <laughs> um, and I think the problem, the real underlying problem there was that they kind of had a point. Hmm. Uh, we were burning, I think, 15 million a quarter. You're probably down to sort of like, say, another year left in the bank at that point. Yeah. And 2015 was not a great time for the capital market. So no one was going to raise money. Right. And so our CEO looked to me and said, hey, uh, we're probably going to have to make some more changes at the exec level, but we need to figure out a way to get the cash flow positive in nine months. Right. And sort of was like, oh, okay, I should probably ask these questions before I take jobs. But, <laughs> um, but it was that moment where we started to say, okay, what are we going to do? And right. that, that was where the essence of uh, what marketing can be inside of a tech company came to the forefront, where we could use a lot of analytics to understand our paywalls mm -hmm. much more effectively. Mm -hmm. And we uh, kicked off what we called Project Gnome around the idea that we could find a way to give people a reason to pay for Evernote that they maybe hadn't had before. Right. And that introduced required us to introduce a paywall around the number of devices that you could sync your Evernote account with. Yeah. And you, it might sound like, hey, people were not huge fans of that, right? Nobody yeah. likes to take something away from their users. No, that's clear. But yeah. we have always had this theory that we would give more than we take. Yeah. And our users are an incredibly kind, loyal, understanding user base mm -hmm. who knew the situation that we were in. And so we introduced the this new paywall and had that really scary moment when you do this, right? Because you know Twitter know. is just about yeah. to blow up, yeah. right? Yeah. And Twitter it's like, oh my God, up. I can't believe they did that. Right. Uh, yeah. you're, you're, you know, you're all going... Uh, <laughs> um, and Twitter blew up as, as you would expect. But I was always amazed because I think it was never more than a few thousand people who were angry tweeting at us. Yeah. And then it was tens of thousands of people who came to our defense right. who were like, this is actually what managing a company is all about. Yeah. This is doing the responsible thing because there would be nothing worse than if Evernote went away. Right. right. And now we're in a position where we can fulfill that promise that your stuff, your ideas, they're all safe forever, accessible from anywhere mm -hmm. inside of Evernote. And that those changes that we made to the pricing structure and all the communication that yeah. went out there about that, that was by far the most effective thing I've ever been part of. Mm -hmm. And one of the proudest things too, because uh, I just, I know how personally crushed I would have been had ever not, not been able to be a part of everybody's life. Yeah. And now that's never a, a question again, like right. ever actually means ever. Cool. And like how deeply involved were you guys, you know, as a marketing team, how deeply involved were you guys in terms of the pricing strategy and, and the way to kind of get that out? Uh, yeah, unfortunately for everybody else, we were those guys. Wow, that's <laughs> so awesome. We, uh, um, it's kind of one of the core competencies that you have to have when you think about users in every country on the planet. Mm -hmm. And what are the things that you can really do more effectively than anybody else? Mm -hmm. One of them is pricing and, and packaging. Right? Yeah. And uh, the other, the best example, I think, I mean, the GNOME one was awesome and powerful. 
for Evernote. But the best one we ever came up with was at Skype when we realized that only 61% of our users even knew you could make a phone call from Skype. But we couldn't actually tell, use the words phone call because we weren't a regulated telco. Right. So how do you communicate the idea? How do you tell a story about a phone call without ever saying those words? Mm -hmm. And we came up with this idea that if we just floated a dial pad in some of the white space in the product, mm -hmm. um, to back to the point about engagement, about SaaS, the, only first, the first three days are kind of all that matter. Right. Then we could uh, really articulate a story without using any words. And if we put a dollar in there, then it became obvious that you could use this to make a paid phone right. call. And all of a sudden you could tell a story with no words and no dollars of media whatsoever that when we implemented it, increased the value of those cohorts by 11%. Wow. For what amounted to maybe four hours of coding and four days of quality assurance. It's a pretty good return. Yeah, that's not bad, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, that that is the sort of thing that you have to get really good at. And everybody always asks me, is that a product idea or is that a marketing idea? Mm -hmm. Dude, that's just a good idea is what that yeah. is, right? And the more that we can break down this, this trying to define who's the product guy and who's the marketing guy and realize that, Again, we major in Evernote. We all want Evernote to win. Yeah. And nobody really cares that much. I've had great copy written by engineers along the way. Sure. That I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, look, good, good ideas well. can come from anywhere. And good marketing ideas can come from anywhere in the company. Absolutely. Right? And it's like as you have more and more people thinking from a marketing perspective, um, you, you just end up creating a better product experience for the user. Totally. Um, obviously, you know, the flip side of that is we all have our share of misses. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> is there anything that you just... Threw against the wall that just immediately slid down. Um, yeah, so I was gonna. I'm not sure how long we have for this question because yeah. I think my I was on page three of the the ideas that we could talk about right here. Okay, all right. Uh, but well, yeah, well, one short yeah, one yeah, maybe let's, that let's comes to mind. The one that was certainly the funniest one was yeah. that we had never really done big brand marketing at Skype, right. but we had this problem that we were becoming known as video calling grandma on Sundays <laughs> instead of like a communication tool, right? So we wanted it to reinvigorate people's idea that it was time to Skype right. and all of the different use cases that you could have for that. Okay. So uh, we started on this campaign that was all going to be about virality and earned media because you still only have like a couple million bucks, right? Yeah. So one of the things that we wrote was uh, specifically something to the effect of, it's not okay to wish your mom happy birthday with a wall post. And we put that on a London tube poster for, you know, $2,000 or something. It was literally, I think, the only out-of-home we did for the whole campaign. Mm -hmm. But it immediately got picked up, and everybody was sending it to Facebook, mm -hmm. being like, hey, Facebook, Skype says that you know your, your ways of communicating are inhuman right. types of things. And we had done this deal where uh, Skype was powering Facebook video calling at that point. Oh, man. And so Zuckerberg calls our CEO, who happened to be on vacation in Mexico drinking margaritas by a pool, <laughs> when he then called me and was of the mind of, you know, insert your series of expletives, <laughs> followed by like, what did you do? What are you guys doing? Uh, yeah. and, and I was, at the time, I was always like, oh, this is awesome marketing. Yeah, like, this is yeah. getting enormous attention. Mm -hmm. And it's actually communicating the exact message that we wanted to. Right. I'm not sure that that was uh, what I would describe as a success for my yeah. career or for uh, <laughs> for exactly what everybody wanted to have happen at Skype right there. But um, those are the moments where I will never forget that one. For sure. But that's the tough thing, right? Is like sometimes you might do something that might actually be good for the brand or even generate a lot of virality or even generate like, you know, a lot of PR hits. Oh, yes. 
right? But politically, it's not the correct thing to do, right? That's, yeah, I can yeah. see how that would be a challenge. Um, I'm curious, you know, because, you know, going back to all the different marketing tools and when you just, you were talking earlier about the overwhelming number of channels and things marketers can do. I saw a statistic the other day, you know, from the American uh, Marketing Association that said that the average user is like being, you know, subject to 10,000 brand impressions per day. How do, right. <laughs> how do you cut through that? Like, obviously, you know, software as a service, you know, or SaaS is a slightly different model, but still, you still fail, face the same challenges, right? How do, you, how do you cut through that noise? Yeah, I think that it comes back a lot to that personalization thing that we talked about before, mm -hmm. because humans are naturally a little narcissistic, and there is nothing we like more than to hear a story about ourselves. Yeah. So to think about, like, retail environments, why are there so many mirrors in retail environments? Because humans just naturally... We're all beautiful. We, we are very beautiful <laughs> when we look at ourselves, right? Yeah. And if you can take something that you probably uniquely know about somebody mm -hmm. and start to use that to tell them their story, people will automatically pay attention to that right. because it's about them. So it's inherently relevant. And uh, I mean, obviously, we could talk about how Skype and Evernote did this, but I think Strava actually does this. They're the ones who track. like. How yeah, I'm a cyclist. So I'm a fanatic user of that. Yeah. Right. Like they have a fanatical user base. And when yeah. they send me that that email at the end of the year about here's how many miles you rode, which for me is like six, but I'm sure for you it's like <laughs> 600. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's awesome. And they're like, here's how fast you went. And right. here's what your friends did. And, and like, you know, that's a problem. I think the more that we can figure out ways to do that, the, without being creepy, mm. the more that we can break through the noise and get people messages that you actually want to hear. Because so you're talking really about kind of taking, looking at the data that we're getting from our users and then transforming that into a personal story that we share with, back to them. I, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I even think about, so I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, why doesn't Pampers send me the, you just changed your thousand diaper email, right? Because you guys, they know how many I've bought. I buy them from Amazon. <laughs> it's on automatic order. It comes right back. To yeah, us, right? yeah, yeah. Like they could do that same thing sure. that almost gamifies it and tells me something about me that no one else would. would have. Or like how many hours of sleep have you lost oh. due to changing diapers? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever those calculations Very are. Very human. You, you spent how many years on the toilet? And yeah. You spent all these years doing this. Yeah. How many years have I spent changing diapers now? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, the last question before I go into like my, my kind of quick fire, quick tips here. Um, one thing I talk to CMOs all the time in tech that, that is a challenge is, you know, getting the prioritization of marketing, you know, at the C-suite level, right? And, and obviously you've, you've, you've already clearly outlasted the average tenure of the tech CMO, <laughs> right? So, so you, you, you've got your stars there. So what, any tips for other CMOs or marketing heads out there? How do you, how do you get a, a more of a seat at the table for marketing? Um, I think the biggest one that is just disappearing from the world in general is empathy. Yeah. And uh, having walked in the shoes of the engineer, having walked in the shoes of the product manager, and having walked in the shoes of the finance guy, uh, you can really appreciate that what they're fighting for that yeah. day, right? Yeah. And I think that we are often forgetting that probably the most powerful constituent and our first constituent is to market to the people that are inside our building. Yep. If they understand why what we do is important and what their contribution is to that, everything else comes out through, like they, they will come to own the brand for you, right? right? And you can get all of that done. And I think the more that marketing can do that, as opposed to trying to convince people that marketing is important, yeah. convince them that they're important, the yeah. better off we are. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I was listening to uh, Dale Carnegie's famous book. 
how to win friends and influence people. Yes, and, sure. and he talks a lot about that. Really, it's like really understanding what people want, what's yeah. their motivation, right? It, how can they? How can you help them help you, right? And I see all these trends that are like running counter to this this level of empathy. Yeah, I agree. Used to have right, you hear like, um, I mean. I've, I've watched so many people kind of bastardize the radical candor thing yeah. like, as a reason to be mean to people. Like, oh God. Wait, I think we've really missed what everybody yeah. was trying to get at here. Yeah. No, it, you know, it's, I see it kind of like as, as a, as a, as a marketing coach, I, I'll have conversations with clients sometimes and the issues that they bring are ones of basic communication. Which is right? so ironic for people who are paid to communicate for a living. Right? I, it's yeah, unbelievable. I, I struggle with it just as much. As you know, it's it's like, well, you know, this person doesn't like me or this person doesn't want to help marketing. And I'm like, well, when did you actually leave the office and have a coffee with yeah. this person? When did you actually invite them to go have a drink somewhere to talk about these things? <laughs> yeah, I think the empathy piece, you know, we only have like a couple of minutes left, but we, we could do a whole separate series just on empathy all right so let's um i've got like five quick tip questions from you i'm just going to rifle through them one at a time and then wrap up um what's been the most influential book that you've read lately uh there's a book called the big leap Uh, oh my god guy hendrix yes i just read that um i was amazed it had zero data which is usually a problem for me (laughs) but his argument that if you can get your mindset to start fighting your upper limit problem yeah as soon as you get to something good happening you will self-sabotage he says you can break away. And mm-hmm. I really think that that is uh, something that's resonating. That's a me. great book. Really, really love that. Yeah, The Big Leap for sure. Um, I already know the answer to this one. Got to ask, uh, <laughs> the most important marketing tool in your life? <laughs> I, I can't help but say Evernote right now, just because every idea starts for me in Evernote and yep. evolves in Evernote. Yep. And we have always wanted people to take their ideas with them where they need to, to turn them into actions. Mm-hmm. So, But it's got to start there and it lives there for a long time before it becomes a Jira ticket before it goes into Sprout Social and, yep. and Buffer and all those things. So um, I live and die in there. Ever noted is. Uh, what's the one trait af- absolutely every marketer should seek to improve? Um, I call it structuring ambiguity. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it used to just be called problem solving, but I think it's become bigger than that for the yeah. average marketer. That uh, the questions that we are given in business schools and in classes are not going to be relevant for us in three years, much less 10. Yeah. And the willingness to go find the new way is the one thing you got to keep trying. Structuring ambiguity. I like that. Um, Obviously, given question as a marketer uh, and as a brand guy, what's your favorite brand? Uh, So I'm I'm a dad first. Mm -hmm. So Melissa and Doug is my uh, go-to. They make these awesome organic uh, toys. And the power of play, not Mm -hmm. just for kids, but for adults, is uh, so important to our minds and keeping us astute and creative. Um, and I, they define this in the negative, which I think is fascinating. But when you look at um, all of the tragic school shootings and things that are going on, yeah. so many of those kids, the common trait that they share is that they never had the chance to play and learn that when you punch somebody, they get hurt. And when you get punched, it hurts and yeah. realize that that's not something we're going to do anymore. Yeah. And I think the more that we can, brands are really pushing that hard now. And I love that as a message. Last but not least, um, where do you get your advice from? Like when you've got a question and it's not necessarily something that you want to turn to your team to or to your CEO to, who do you talk to? I, I go to people like you, Patrick, quite oh, honestly, because <laughs> I think there's this fascinating moment that I had maybe a year and a half ago where yeah. I was walking into the building and realized for the first time, absolutely no one understands what my job is. Yeah, Maybe even me, but there is no one else in the building who does. And when you're an analyst and you're starting, there are hundreds of other. Yeah, you can talk to anybody, yeah, right? Yeah. You can just be like, and there are lots of people who have done your job. But then you're, you're in charge and you're like, 
sweet, but nobody really knows exactly what it is here. And that's where, for the first time, I understood why everybody said build a network yeah. for the longest time. So you have people to reach out to who, again, they can have empathy for where you are and they can help you problem solve things that maybe they've seen, maybe uh, maybe they can just appreciate where you are. Yeah. Well, look, Malk, this has been awesome. Uh, I've learned a ton. This has been a really great conversation. You know, I think uh, I'm sure our, our, uh, our listeners have learned a ton as well. And I really enjoy your perspective on kind of like marrying data analytics and storytelling. And obviously your journey coming from more of a, you know, a data kind of analytics approach and non-marketing approach to this. So it's been super interesting. Um, so thank you very much for being on the show today. Uh, it's been awesome. I hope we get to do this again. Uh, folks, I'm going to sign off. This has been Mad Mork from Mad Mork Stories. Um, with Andrew Malcolm of Evernote. You can download Evernote on the App Store and on Google Play uh, and join hundreds of millions of other users who are using it. Um, as for me, you can follow me, Madmork, at Twitter. You can also like us, uh, facebook.com slash madmorkstories. And of course, I've got tons of other great content from careers to marketing tips and case studies and other things on madmork.com slash blog. This has been Madmork Stories signing off. Thanks again, guys.